How you guys doing? Awesome. Well, it's great to be here. As Matt said and JT just said, my name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of, of being with you guys this morning. I'm the senior pastor at Harvest Annapolis, and we are less than an hour away. We are DMV uh, buddies, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are family through and through, and I cannot describe how much I love you um, accurately and appropriately and how much of a joy and a privilege it is to be here uh, to get today. No other place, really, I'd rather be this morning. My wife, Anne, and our kids say, Hi, our, our elders send their love, and not just our elders, uh, but uh, pastors from literally around the country and the world. Um, this past week, Ann and I were I had the privilege to be down in Florida. Um, we uh, with a GCC senior pastor and wise retreat with 90 other pastors and wives from around the country and around the world. Um, and we just want you to know this: that one, we prayed for you guys by name, that we love you, and that we are with you, and we are so thankful for the work that God is doing. And I just see His faithfulness as I scan this auditorium. Um, and it, it genuinely and authentically from the bottom of my heart, just thank you for your faithfulness. You're an inspiration to me. We are here with you um, in every way, and just if there's ever anything that we can do for you, we're with you, and we are here to make disciples of the DMV together, amen? And so we're thankful for that. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, if you want to get a head start today, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, um, and we're going to, uh, the title of the message today is called The Judgment-Free Church. But before we get into that aspect of it, I got a question for you. Who here likes Chick-fil-A? Right? You know, on the 11th, uh, the 11th commandment is every Christian must love Chick-fil-A, right? Jesus chicken who can't love Chick-fil-A. Now, who, who has ever walked into Chick-fil-A and asked and received a hamburger? You're like, why in the world would you want a hamburger? Like, they would look at you crazy if you walked in there and said, can I have a double cheeseburger, right? Now, why is that? They don't serve it there, right? Now, what is, what is Chick-fil-A known for? Chicken, right? Chicken. Now, as believers, you and I, John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus gives us a calling and a will, a command, and he says, as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another by how you love one another. This will be how the world will know that you are my disciples, Right? This should be our calling card. It should be our main menu item. And we should love others. When people come to Fairfax Bible Church, when they come to Harvest Annapolis, they should experience the love of God. But how often, rhetorical question, you don't need to raise your hand, have you walked into a church and frankly felt the opposite of the love of God? Felt judged, felt out of place, just like you would if you ordered a hamburger at Chick-fil-A. See, when you walk into God's church and exist among God's people, we should experience the love of God. But well, friends, why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Well, the reality is, is because us as individuals, we are fleshly sinners in desperate need of a Savior, but far too often we forget that point. My prayer is that this church would be a judgment-free church where all people, no matter how you are raised, where you are from, where you were born, what your opinions are on this, who you voted for in that, are welcomed here because God welcomes everyone to the foot of the cross. And we are his people. We are his. 
when uh, we were, we had the privilege of planting Harvest Annapolis, um, gosh, it's over six years ago. Time flies, and I've lost a lot of hair along the way. Um, but you guys, from the bottom of my heart, you guys have been with us every step of the way. You know, I, I see friends in this room that I, I walked into this building. This was the first um, harvest I ever went to. And I was green, warmly welcomed, as I've said many, many a time, by key members here that are still here today, so many of you. And that had an impact on my life as I was like, oh, is this the type of church I want to plant? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but when we planted our core group in 2015, I told our core group this over and over and over again. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a ton of people. God had blessed us with some resources. But I said, we're not going to have a 100-person youth group. The church down the street just built a $7 million youth facility. We, we can't touch that. Nor should we try. We don't have this. I am a young pastor. Our worship leader is young. You're going to have to grow with us and put up with us, right? We're not the best preacher around or the best worship leader around, but we're going to give you all we got for the glory of God. But this is what we can be the best at. There is no reason in the world that we cannot be the most loving church, welcoming church in the world. No reason. That's a choice, an individual choice we make. And if people feel loved and they feel welcomed, they will stick with you, even when the preacher's figuring it out along the way, even when there's technology issues, even if you don't have the bells and the whistles of the church down the street. When they feel love, when they feel part of a community, that's what church is, right? A called out group, set apart group of people called to live how Jesus calls us to live and love how Jesus calls us to love. They will stick with you because that's what our souls yearn for, whether we realize it or not. And friends, that's my challenge to you and I today, to be the most loving church in the DMV. Let's do it together and watch how God brings revival in and through that. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen, and if you're taking notes, it's this. It's, I welcome others without judgment because Jesus welcomes me without judgment. I choose, and we as a church choose together, and again, to have a judgment-free church, it starts with an individual decision by every single person here to welcome every single person that God draws, no matter what they look like, where they're coming from the night before, how they walk in, with the love of God and the eyes of God and the perspective of God. And as we do that individually, we'll collectively form a judgment-free church, a loving church where, where the love of God flows unconditionally, the forgiveness of God flows without limits, and the work of God moves powerfully and does a transformational work in our hearts and in the DMV together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I just pray that you would silence me and that you would flow. I just feel like you want to work because I know you want to work in me in this area. I know you have done a work in me in this, in this area this week, God. God, we're all on a journey and we all need you. We are here today to declare our dependency and our inadequacy apart from you and desperately, desperately cry out for a stronger filling of your presence, God, in a manifest way as we sung so poignantly earlier. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fill this place and fill our hearts God, in a manifest way that you, would, that you would do what you promised to do in your word, that you would just convict us and compel us, encourage us and exhort us, carry us, God, fill us again with you. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. 
This is the word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 36 through verse 50. One of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And he he went to the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answer, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the, canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, and you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story. And I'm so convicted by this story. I pray that our churches and us as individuals, our homes, that we choose to welcome people like Jesus did, allowing his dinner to be interrupted by a woman who had no business being there, whose society says you don't belong here, but Jesus with open arms says you are welcome here, who religion says go away from me, who Jesus says come to me. I pray that that's our heart because that's Jesus' heart. And that works in a profound way. You see, to be a a judgment-free church, it doesn't matter what we don't have. It doesn't matter what we do have. We have Jesus, and we have the gospel. What what does it mean to welcome without judgment? Welcome is to receive appreciatively the presence of another and communicating that to them. And what is judgment? Judgment is a negative assessment of another person based on a superficial sense of superiority. I am struggling in my identity, so to make myself feel better about myself, I need to elevate me over you in some way that I make up. Oh, you came in wearing those shoes. I like mine better, therefore I'm better than you. You drive that car, obviously I drive a cooler car, therefore I have a better status in life than you. My grades are higher than yours, therefore I'm a better person than you. How quick are we? We might not say, am I a judgmental person? I think the honest answer is yes. 
The question is, how quick are we to make snap judgments of other people? They walk in a room, man, how quickly are you evaluating them? They must make this amount of money. They probably voted for that person. Where school did you go to? And all of a sudden when they tell you, boom, what did you do for a living? And thoughts pop into your mind, right? The shoes that you wear, the food that you eat, the team that you root for, thankfully that you're a welcoming church because I'm a brave stand and you, you let me be here with you, right? We're going to win the World Series tonight. Come on. I grew up in Richmond. The AAA team was there, okay. Um, how often are we making assumptions about people's character based off of the clothing that they wear? or the car that they drive. Praise God, Jesus doesn't do that with us, amen? But man, do we need to repent because how quickly we do that to others. There's a lot of judgment going around, right? Just get on social media. You voted for that person? Get away from me. You didn't vote for this? You didn't do that? Your opinion is this on this social issue? I don't want to be anywhere near you. Guys, the gospel is called to unify us because the gospel unifies us not based on what our differences are, but what our similarities are, the reality that we all need Jesus. So how do we operate as a judgment-free church? How do we welcome others without judgment? The first way we do that is this, is I remember how Christ first welcomes me. Can I tell you how humbling that is? I remember how Christ first welcomes me. And can I tell you, I'm going to say this a bunch of, if you don't, say, if you don't hear it, read it in the text, like, we are way more like this woman than we are the Pharisee, a desperate sinner in need of a holy Savior. Some of us think we've been in church a while. The Pharisee probably had way more Bible verses memorized than any of us in this room, and he thought he was better than that woman. He was not. I remember how Christ first welcomes me. Jesus was invited over for lunch. That's awesome. Hospitality is a very gospel thing. The Pharisee invited him over for dinner. He opened a meal. And the Pharisee, which is great, love his hospitality. In verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city. Now, can I tell you who a woman of the city is? It doesn't just mean like she was born in D.C. The, the Bible is very specific, yet it's not vulgar. This woman was a prostitute. She comes in. She was uninvited, but she knew that she needed Jesus. She crashed the party. And the Pharisee was not happy about it. But she was so desperate to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be amongst the love of Jesus that she took actions into her own hands. Guys, we all have a common need that is far greater than anything that has already been said that can divide us. We all need Jesus. But do we recognize it like this woman does? She doesn't just come in. She immediately comes in. She begins to get at the feet of Jesus in a posture of worship. She breaks this really expensive alabaster jar and she takes her hair, which I don't have, and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her hair, with a posture of humility. She is worshiping at the feet of Jesus. That is what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. Being religious does not save you. Being in a relationship with Jesus saves you. The Pharisee was religious. The woman was pursuing a relationship. She lowered herself while the Pharisee was all about elevating himself. He wanted the status of having Jesus over for dinner, and he probably was like on IG about it, right? Look who's at my house. He's probably taking a picture of the food that they prepared. Look at the food we got, right? And all the while, the woman just says, I don't care what anybody thinks about 
about me. I need Jesus. And she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. We have no idea what people are thinking or feeling when they walk into this room on a Sunday. And I just want you to know you're welcome here. I don't know what you're walking through. I just know you're walking through stuff. And life is hard. And you are welcome here. You are wanted here. You are loved here. Because Jesus is here. Whatever you did last night, you are welcome here. Whoever you were with last night, you are welcome here. Because God's grace is here and it's sufficient for you here. And man, I need that here. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have to remember that we are, as we welcome others without judgment, how Jesus first walk, welcomes us. How does he welcome this woman? Does he push her away? No. He receives her. He loves her. And he will love you and receive you from however you are. You see, pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is a self-exaltation over others. Humility is savior exaltation over self. It means I must decrease. Literally, the woman is literally decreasing herself. And Jesus must increase. The Pharisee is like, if Jesus only knew who this woman was, he wouldn't touch her. And Jesus is like, I know exactly who this woman is. And that's exactly who I came for. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick and the hurting. And by the way, that's everybody. You just might not realize it yet. The religion, often pride flows out of a, a sense of false identity and insecurity, doesn't it? I think I need to continue to make myself better than everybody else in order to feel better about myself because that's what the world tells me to do. The gospel tells me that I am no better than anybody else. And frankly, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care what your bank account is. I don't care what your job title is. I don't care what your GPA is. You need Jesus. You're in desperate need of Jesus just like I'm in desperate need of Jesus. It's really hard to live with humility. It's really hard to remember this, especially in the world that we live in. But man, we're working on it. I was wrecked by this reality this week at the conference that we went to, and they, we, the focus was on fervent prayer and the message on Psalm 51 by Robbie Simons, who's a great mentor and pastor from Canada, wrecked my heart about what it looks like to walk in humility and how the obstacle to God moving powerfully in, our, in my church is, you know who that is? Me. Our pride looks around us and goes, the problem is around me. Humility looks inside us and goes, the problem is me. G.K. Chesterton, a very famous British theologian, once received a letter that says, what's the problem in the world? He wrote back in two words, I am. Read Psalm 51. See how David doesn't make excuses or rational way anything. He owns it and he cries at the pathway to, re to rejoicing is repentance. The pathway to renewal is repentance. The pathway to restoration is repentance, personal repentance, me. We are getting drips of the power of the Holy Spirit because we have a clogged drain because our sin is sitting in it, unrepented of, and we need to get and restore our heart. And this woman is modeling that for us. She's throwing herself at the feet of Jesus, repenting of her sins, worshiping him, declaring her need of him. May we do the same. Oh God, we need clean hearts. This Pharisee thought he had it all figured out. But he had everything backwards. 
But how often do we operate more like this Pharisee than the woman? We look around us and think that the problem is that. We rationalize our sin because of this. We justify our bad behavior because of that, as opposed to owning the fallen condition of our own heart and declaring our desperate dependence for God and trusting the reality that Jesus will welcome us without judgment however we come. We need to get rid of our pride, admit the reality that we are sinners first and foremost. The first person you need to preach the gospel to every day is guess who? You, me, to remind myself of who I am in God. You don't believe me? Read Revelation 2 and 3, what Jesus wrote to churches about how they need to be restored to their first love. You're, you're doing all this great stuff? Great. But this I hold against you. You've forsaken your first love. If you don't come back to me, you don't embrace the principalities of the gospel, your need of me personally, God, I care way more about who you are in me than what you do for me. I will blow out your lampstand. If you are just lukewarm, whoo, what was you, Laodicea? How many of us are walking around lukewarm? We have the religious information, but we don't have the true heart transformation that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not living that way anyway. The Pharisee had all the head information about religion, but the woman knew she needed a relationship. Now, the, the Pharisee sits here, and, and he goes, he begins to mutter something under his breath, in verse 39, if only this man were a prophet, he said it to himself, right? Can I tell you some of the dumbest things I've ever said? I thought I mumbled to myself and my wife's like, what'd you say? I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and then Jesus says, Simon, and he knows he's in trouble when Jesus calls him by name, right? It's like your mama's calling you. I got something to say to you. And he's like, say it, teacher. I was like, okay, bring it on. And Jesus begins to teach him the reality of forgiveness and our desperate need for it. Friends, where do you need forgiveness in your life? Where do you need to receive and repent and seek the face of God for forgiveness and trusting how God is going to welcome you into your life? Because, man, God won't move in the way that he wants to move. We, we, scripture teaches us that we can quench the Holy Spirit. He wants to do a powerful work in us. But man, we got to unclog the drain. We got to repent. And then he wants to use it through us. We got to forgive others. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? He's like, Jesus, if you knew who this woman was, you wouldn't be with her. You wouldn't allow her to touch you. The reality is, is Jesus knew exactly who she was. He's asking the wrong question. Why aren't we hanging out with more people like this woman? Why aren't we more receptive? Why aren't we more open to receiving others as they are? As we remember how we first came to God, and honestly, frankly, how some of us day to day come to God. He welcomes this woman in her mess. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus this morning. He welcomes you in your mess. He did not say to this woman, hey, go back, do all these acts of restitution, go put your resignation in, and then come back here 
and then I'll talk to you. He met her where she was, and he loved her where she was. But by the grace of God, he didn't leave her where she was, and he will meet you in whatever situation you are in right now, whatever your heart is right now. God loves you, and he wants to meet with you. He wants to have you understand the reality that you are created in his image, that he paid for your sins on the cross, and he wants to spend eternity with you. But the only way this text and several others say that the, to get there is by faith through Jesus Christ that is exhibited through repentance of your sins and saying, God, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way, but I need your help to live your way. Is that you this morning? And then are we living that out? The reality is that so many of us are like the Pharisee this morning. And maybe we've just slipped there. We're judging people by who they vote for. We're judging people by what they post on social media. We're judging people by, you fill in the blank. And we're forgetting to do, to allow the Holy Spirit to cut our own hearts to the core and repent of the sin in our life. We're too busy trying to find sin in everybody else's life. Revival starts, I want revival in the D.C. area. I want to do it with you. I, want, I, I pray, you know where revival starts? Revival doesn't start out there. You know where revival starts? In here, in me, in my own fallen, broken sin heart, repenting of that and allowing God to have more of that. Oh God, may you have me and then may you use me. Where do you need to repent today to remember how Jesus first welcomes you? Because the second way that we welcome others without judgment, that we are a judgment-free church, is after I remember how Jesus welcomes me, I then choose to see others how Jesus sees them. I have a gospel lens. I have a gospel perspective. Look at verse 40. After Jesus says, I have something to say to you, he, he begins to explain this scenario where one person owed 500 denarii, another 50, and he goes, somebody canceled the debt. Who would love him more? And he goes, Simon's like, oh, probably the guy that had the bigger debt. Jesus is like, you're right. Because the reality is, is this woman, her sins might have been more vibrant out there for the world to see. So in some way, you might have said that she had a bigger debt. But the, Simon, the religious dude, didn't see his debt at all because he was too busy staring at the debt of others. He was too busy seeing her. He saw her as a position. He saw her as a prostitute. Jesus saw her as a person. We are not defined by what we do. We are defined by who we are. Every single person, no matter your skin color, where you were born, was born in the image of God, created by a holy God with the intentionality and a purpose and a heart and a love, desiring to have a reconciled relationship with God so much that God sent Jesus into the world for everybody. And the question on this text that haunts me the most, and I pray it will haunt you, is verse 44, when he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And he is looking at you and I and saying, do you see this roommate, this coworker, this family member, this neighbor? And I'm not talking about just see, yeah, yeah, they pulled into the garage, yeah, they came to, no, I'm not talking about super fit. He's like, do you see her heart and do you care? 
Do you see her for who she is? Or are you too busy stopping at the superficial labels that society has put on her to understand the depth of hurt inside her and how she is searching for hope? And by the way, you have the information of hope because you know about me. You just haven't been transformed by it and you're not anyway compelled to share her about, tell her about it. But friends, how often are we more like the Pharisee refusing to actually take the time to see the people around us when Jesus is like, you pray, you want to make disciples? I brought your coworker into your life, but your co- you told your coworker you were too busy for them because you had emails to respond to today. You, you want to make disciples in the DMV? I brought your new neighbor, but you've never, you've yet to introduce yourself to that new neighbor because you're too busy having the best manicured lawn ever. We're dragging our kids all over. I got four kids, man. They're all over the place. But man, the mission of God is everywhere. Are we choosing to literally see the people around? The, how often if Jesus looked at us and said, do you see this person? And I don't know who the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart, but I bet you in some people in the room, he's putting on a name on your heart right now. That you've blown off that you have dismissed, that you have, uh, they're different from me in this way, therefore I could never connect with them. Man, this prostitute and this Pharisee, they couldn't be more different, but gosh, God brought this woman literally into this man's home and he was refusing to see her. How many people has God brought into your life and you are refusing to see them how God sees them? As hurting, as broken, and often, man, we, look, you have to train yourself up in the gospel because you're gonna get a lot of shrapnel from these people, Right? Because out of, relation, out of a person's hurting heart comes collateral damage of sin, and you're going to get it. They might talk bad to you. They might hurt you. But guess what? Guess what they did to Jesus, right? They crucified him. They put a crown of thorns on him. Peter, his best buddy, denied him. Judas, somebody you'd hung out with and invested in for three years, stabbed him in the back and sold him out. James and John were arguing about who considered his right hand and left hand just after he told they were more concerned about himself. Right after he told them, I'm going to die for you, they're like too concerned about themselves to even worry about what he's going to do for them. How many of us are like these people all the time? And we want to be like Jesus, yet we are refusing to love the people around us to choose to see them how God did. We can't do it in our own strength, which is why we need to first remember how God strengthens us and sees us, and then we need to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to live on mission, to love Christ, and to live sent. It's not a saying. It's not just lip service. It's life service. Amen? And as we, you're going to sit here today, and you might read this text, and it's awesome, and Monday morning comes, and you're like, I need my coffee. I don't want to talk to that person. God brought somebody. I pray that tomorrow you will choose to see this person. This afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, allow the gospel, the Great Commission, is a life that is willing to be interrupted by the power of God for the glory of God. This man's dinner was crashed. I bet you so many of us, if we had a prostitute knock on the door and go, can I crash your dinner party with the most important person in town, you'd be like, get away from me. Like, we can relate to this religious leader, right? How many of us would want that crashing happening at our dinner party? But Jesus welcomed it. We choose to see others as well. Are you choosing to see the person or are you choosing to see the position? Are you choosing to see the heart of the person or the label that society's put on that person? Jesus loves her and welcomes her. So what does it really look like to welcome others without judgment? Here are four quick ways that we can welcome others without judgment. The first is this. To offer hospitality to all. To offer hospitality to all. Look, again, hospitality is not a bad thing. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. If you. There's a great book on this. The Gospel Comes with the House Key. 
It's a great, cool, really cool book if you want to read that and really have a deep level about how you can leverage, how you can use every single resource to reach your neighborhood for the gospel, to love people as they are, where they are. Again, the love of God meets people where they are, but the love of God doesn't allow people to stay where they are. To usher in God's glory when we accept, when we greet people, your roommate, will you offer gospel-centered hospitality? Because again, that's a way to exhibit the glory of God. Open our homes, open our hearts, take the time to open our lives. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But man, God has sent people into your neighborhood, into your cubicles, into your, your soccer teams, kids' soccer teams. You know, they're hanging out on the sidelines. Take time to get to know those guys. Your, your classrooms, your roommates. The second way is this, is to believe the best about others. It's so easy to look at this woman and believe the worst about her without knowing her story. How, who are you doing that to you in your life? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and yes, this is a passage that was not written for weddings. It was written for a messed up, jacked up church about how to actually live out the call to love God's people unconditionally when we are very different. And in that text, Paul says, love bears with one another. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Anybody been rude or arrogant recently? Does not insist on its own way. Anybody doing that recently? Is not irritable. Oop, I'm convicted there. Is not resentful. Yep, that's me sometimes. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. That doesn't mean like somebody that's out to get you when they go down. You're like, I'm glad you got caught. Bears all things and believes the best. Will you believe the best today about people in your life? Endures all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. Wow, that's what it means to love without condition, a portion of it anyway. Are we doing that, friends? Three, authentically desires for all to receive and believe in the gospel. By all, the Bible means all. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. We can, we can save our discussion on predestination or not later. I just tell you, this text says that God desires all to reach repentance. So you know what our calling is? to love all, to share the gospel with all, to forgive all, and let God do what God does. That's his heart. Fourth, live out the one another's in community. There are 59 of them in the New Testament. Colossians, Paul writes, says, says, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How can a diverse group of people come together with diverse perspectives and live as united on mission and in vision? Because the love of God binds us together. The gospel binds us together. We are united by our need for the gospel, and we are held together by the strength of the gospel because, O oh, death, where is thy sting? It has been swallowed up in victory, and that we will be known by the gospel, by our love for one another. Without these one another's in community, that's why small groups are so important. You guys do a phenomenal job of small groups. If you're not in a small group, I cannot exhort you and or encourage you more. Get in a small group. And don't just be there. Invest there. Take the risk to open your heart. Yes, you might get hurt because what? You're working with and hanging out and living life together with a bunch of other sinners. You're going to get hurt. But praise God, even when you get hurt, you get to live out the gospel. Forgiveness, grace, love, right? Mercy. The Christian life is meant to be lived together, not alone. We are not lone wolf Christians. We are wolf pack Christians, right? We need to live that way. 
And in this, the closing of this section is really powerful. He looks at Simon as the worship team comes. And he says this. He says, you didn't, do, you didn't choose to worship me. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't anoint my feet with ointment. You didn't kiss me. But she did. She is elevating me. She is a, worship is what? It's ascribing worth. She's ascribing the worth to which I am due. And you chose not to worship me. You, you, you opened your home. You put out some food on the table, but you didn't open your heart. How many of us have a relationship like that with Jesus? We have an informational relationship, but not a transformational relationship. Yeah, we can, we can make it to church. We can be even maybe go to small group, but we have not opened our heart to truly put our heart, trust, and faith in Jesus and worship him, which means I'm going to elevate him as Lord and Savior. I don't look to him informed by the reality that he's Savior, but I'm trans, not just that, but I'm transformed by the fact that he's Lord. And I want you to see this in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many. Friends, I need you to hear this. I tell you her sins. He, Jesus does not deny the reality of her sins. He doesn't even re- deny the reality of the quantity of her sins. He goes, I see her sin. I see the reality. It's many. She is a sinner. He, she doesn't deny the reality of her sin. He declares his victory over sin. Isn't that awesome? How many of us are too busy pointing out the presence of people's sin and are far too short on declaring Jesus' victory over that sin, that every chain is broken by the foot of the cross, that every sin is covered by Jesus' blood, that there is no sin that you have committed, no place you have been, that God's grace can't cover you, and that we never outrun our need for the gospel and our need for the grace. And he looks at Simon, he says, I get it, her sins which are many. Man, you're, you're focusing on the sin, but you're missing the Savior, because I am here, and I am am he. I am the one that forgives every sin. And he looks at the woman and he says this, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Your sins are forgiven. No longer are you walking in darkness, you're walking in light. Your sins, which are many, are now spread as far as the east is from the west. Your heart now is white as snow because I'm going to cover it personally. I'm not going to subcontract it. I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to bleed for you. And friends, he does that for you too. Many, all of us have many sins. And Jesus is here to tell you that if you choose to repent and confess, your sins are forgiven too because he loves you. And then those who were at the table were amazed amongst themselves. Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not your works, not your posture, not your position, your faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We aren't saved by being a religious elite. We are saved by the broken depravity and the reality of it and throwing ourselves unconditionally at the foot of God saying, I need you. I love you. My identity is not in what I do. It's in what you did for me. And no one can take that away from me. Living a life of compassion, choosing to see others, doesn't mean compromising doctrinal conviction. Hear me on that. Everybody's welcome here, but we're not going to change our point of view on marriage. We're not going to change our point of view on gender or identity because that's anchored where? That's anchored in the Bible. But you're welcome here. 
because you're a sinner just as much as I am and you're as much as in need of the Savior as I am and I'm going to admit my reality that I haven't outgrown my need for Jesus Christ and I'm not going to stop telling you that you need Jesus too and the ground is level at the foot of the cross that's why we welcome all without judgment because God forgives without limits friends today will you choose to do that will you choose to see because what happens when we choose to come to Jesus and see him for who he is when we encounter Jesus everything changes this woman came in a hurting sinner and she left the room a hope filled savior she came in forsaken she left forgiven she came in a woman of the night she left a woman walking in the light what happened she met Jesus amen and I pray that you meet Jesus right now because he can do the same for you because he loves you. And he can do the same for your neighbor. And he can do the same for your coworker, which is why we need to love them too. Why we need to take the hurt that they, their words say and we need to lay them down at the foot of the cross and go, God, give me a soft heart, thick skin, soft heart, choosing to continue to love, choosing to continue to lay down my rights to choose to love, to lay down my license so that I can love. Jesus laid down everything. We can lay down our license. We can lay down our rights so we can choose to love and we can choose to see. Friends, will you choose to do that? Because that's how we live in a way that sees others in the same way that Jesus sees us. As broken people in need of a Savior, but as beloved people who God sent his best for, And I pray that every single person in this room understands that and experiences that right now, that you know who you are because Jesus tells you who you are. If the world has has scorned you and thrown you away, Jesus says, come here, I love you and I want to adopt you. If the world has rejected you, Jesus is here to save you and, and to accept you. And we need to live in that and then we need to walk in that. May the words love Christ live sent not just be a slogan on a t-shirt, but a way of life as we embody that because that is our calling as believers. That is our calling, Fairfax Bible Church. And the DMV needs that, amen? And when people see that you're loving them and forgiving them and choosing to accept them, you're not gonna necessarily accept their positions or their postures or their sin, but you're gonna look to their hearts and love them anyway and say, I care about you anyway. I'm going to show you compassion anyway. I'm going to hold my doctrinal convictions up and I'm going to hold the love of Christ up as well. They're going to go, there's something different there. And I want that. And you're going to go, it's not me, it's he, right? We sang that earlier. It's not yet not I, but Christ in me. So may the love of God not just dwell in us, but may it flow through us. And let's let God watch God do a dynamic, transformative mind-blowing work in this DMV as we choose to love how God has first loved us. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. And God, I just pray that you would come in this place. And I pray that if there are people in this room, God, that need that touch, that are looking, that are hurting, that are broken, that are walking into this room feeling like this woman did that night, I pray that you would meet them with the same truth. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven, final, done, paid for. It is finished. And Father, I pray that we would choose that right now and put our faith and our hope in you and the grace that you so just graciously bestow upon us. 
Because while our sin is great, your grace is greater. While our mess is mighty, your mercy is more. And God, is for those of us that walked in like this uptight, judgmental Pharisee, I pray that you would break us of that sinful disposition and that you would draw us back to remember who you are, to experience the truth of your gospel. God, to walk in that grace ourselves and then to demonstrate that grace to the world around us, to choose to see every single person that comes into our lives, not as an inconvenience, but as a gospel opportunity, not as an obstacle, but again, as an opportunity to demonstrate your love and your grace. God, do that work in us and do it through us, God, for your glory. God, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.